Right. Oh, shit. Welcome to Urbane Legends. The podcast about urban legends and how to act in a courteous and refined manner. But much less about that. Here's your hosts, Neil and Chris. Hello and welcome to episode three of Urbane Legends. Uh, with me, Chris, the Warlock Flynn, and my fellow presenter. That would be Neil. Can't think of a name. <laughs> Hi, nice to meet you, Neil. Um, so this is a podcast where we have a look at and dissect urban legends, and also give you a little tip on politeness and etiquette. So I'll get that out of the way first. If you're someone like me, of the working class variety, the upper class are never to be addressed unless it's absolutely necessary. And if that is the case, as few words as possible should be uttered. So hopefully that helps you in your day-to-day life. And this week, Neil, who are we going to be looking at? I believe we're going to be looking into Spring Hill Jack. This is a big get, Chris. Yeah, he's One someone of the big ones. Yeah. How do we get the rights to this? Like so many other hack authors, we're looking into public domain territory. Beautiful. So, it's been a lot of years since uh, since the copyright expired on this one. Excellent. Finally, very much, um, very much like what I'd like to do with our music. Just have like green, green fingers or green sleeves or whatever by Henry VIII. That's what all our self self published novels are about. A character called Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Okay, so Spring Hill Jack, uh, I'm going to be, because this one is quite a famous one, um, and there's a lot of information on it, so I'm going to start off, if anyone wants to follow along with the Wikipedia entry. Um, so I'll go through that. Neil, stop me if you want, if you want to, if you want to spout off or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to have a lot to say about Spring Hill Jack. Lovely. That's what we like to hear. So, here's the intro. Spring Hill Jack is an entire... (laughs) Spring Hill Jack is an entity in English folklore of the Victorian era. The first claimed sightings of Spring Hill Jack was in 1837, and later sightings were reported all over the UK and were especially prevalent in suburban London, the Midlands and Scotland. All the way up to Scotland? All the way up to Well, they, they invented trends in the Victorian era, didn't they? So they probably they got did, up. So yeah. Easy enough. Probably, probably if you had a Scottish flyer or whatever it was called. No, he wouldn't. You can, you can only hop so far, to be fair, bless him. <laughs> Get tired after the first few miles. Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> uh, bloody, I'm not even at Barnet yet. Um, there are many theories about the nature and identity of Spring Hill Jack. This urban legend, so that fits in, was very popular in its time due to the tales of the bizarre appearance and the ability to make extraordinary leaps to the point that he became the topic of several works of fiction. Spring Hill Jack was described by people who claimed to have seen him having a terrifying and frightful appearance with diabolical uh, physiognomy. Physiognomy, I believe you're right, yeah. I was right. Couldn't just say, like, looks. Physiognomy. I, I thought it'd be physiology, but maybe that's... No, physiognomy is facial features, I believe. Physiology is your entire body. 
Oh, oh okay. So the, uh, that's probably no. where that's probably where um, the word fizzog comes yep. from. Like, look at your fizzog. Yeah, back when they had uh, phrenology and all that stuff as well. Oh, well, I still believe in phrenology. Yeah, of course. It's perfectly I valid science. And I can see by the bumps on your forehead and the shape of your head that... <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know what was going to come out of, come out of that very convict-shaped face. <laughs> that prominent brow. That's Criminal brow. Yeah. I've got quite no, a nothing I could believe now. as a gentleman, that's for sure. Yeah, I was going to say that you look like an adulteress, but there we go. Yeah, my prominent horn structured ring. Prominent adulteress, Neil Herbert. Neil Deathwind Herbert. Shamed, found in an East End opium den. Is that why you're um, making me wear this scarlet letter? Oh my. <laughs> it is indeed. Uh, so he had a diabolical physog, clawed hands, and eyes that resembled red balls of fire. Um, one report claimed that beneath the black coat, he wore a helmet and a tight-fitting white garment like an oilskin. Many stories often mention a devil-like aspect. Others said he was tall and thin with the appearance of a gentleman. So is this a devil-like aspect that's, you know, apart from the balls of fire and the glowing red eyes? I'll tell you, yeah. that's devilish already, you know. You could have it on there. Could be anything. Yeah, at that point, it yeah. could be anything. Yeah, it's probably back in those days. Here we are. It's just come from the East End. <laughs> several reports mentioned that several reports mentioned that he could breathe out blue and white flames, and that he wore sharp metallic claws at his fingertips. Inspiration for Freddy Krueger, then, perhaps. Yeah, very much. So. Or Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. At least two people. Did he mope around? Huh. Did he like to mope around? Yeah, he did like to mope. Well, that's what, yeah. At least two people have claimed that he liked to mope around and cut hair. Yeah. No, at least two people have claimed he was able to speak comprehensible English. So, that's just the uh, opening gambit. Here's the precedent. So, in the early 19th century, there were reports of a ghost that stalked the streets of London. These human-like figures were described as pale, it was believed that they stalked and preyed on lone pedestrians. Stories told of these figures uh, form part of a distinct ghost tradition in London, which some writers have argued form the foundation for later legend of Spring Hill Jack. But if it was in the early 19th century, that was the same time as his first sighting. Well, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm also thinking, you know, that, that era of London, so there would have been very poor street lighting, very mm. thick fog and pollution, um, you know, a hell of a lot of poverty and people living yeah. on the street, and um, sort of those kind of mixes that you drink. Yeah, heavy, heavy gin um, uh, consumption, bathtub gin, and they also had those kind of what do they call them tonic drinks, which were basically pure cocaine. So mm. they sound all right. <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong, I do want to travel back to the- <laughs> <laughs> have a couple of tonic drinks, yeah. go down the opium den. After that, wake myself up with some pint of gin. Nothing wrong with that. And have a nice, have a nice kip in the street. That sounds all right. <laughs> that, that, that's how they got Britain done in those days, Chris. Well, there I'm, we surprised, go. I'm surprised we haven't tried to, yeah, re-legislate sort of tincture of opium or whatever the fuck. What to bring it back? Yeah, exactly. Maybe. But they wouldn't do, would they? Because uh, I mean, Reese Mogg lives in the 200 years ago in his head. He? Yeah, I know, but he also. Um, presumably looking at him 
uh, and hearing him, he would have been part of the Temperance League or something like that. Disgusting. Right, the most important of these early entities, I can't say entities today, was the Hammersmith Ghost, which in 1803 and 1804 was reported in Hammersmith, hence the name, on the western fringes of of London. Uh, and it would later reappear in 1824. Another apparition, the Southampton ghost, was also reported as assaulting individuals in the night. This particular spirit bore many of the characteristics of Spring Hill Jack and uh, was reported jumping over houses and being over 10 foot tall. So it's that so might... basically Spring Hill Jack then. Yeah, Without so basically your claws and the firebreak. London's, London's nicked it from Southampton, haven't they? Yeah. Haven't they have yeah. gone, oh, we'll have that, we'll appropriate yeah. that. Like um, like the football team. Yeah. Um, so, early reports. Yeah, Wilcott all over again. <laughs> Gareth Bale all over again. Oh, he wants to pass it into the net, Chris. <clears throat> you see that? No, Oxley Chamberlain all over again. Yeah. Um, Pochettino all over again. <laughs> The first alleged sightings of Spring Hill Jack were made in London in 1837, and the last reported sightings said uh, in most of the secondary literature to be made in Liverpool. Didn't do the accent there. In 1904. 1904. So that's quite quite a period afterwards, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Well, Well, the first one was in 37, so we're looking at, what, 60 years? So, you know, he stayed... He stayed limber, stayed active again. Yeah. Assuming, assuming there was there was but one Spring Hill Jack. Well, I imagined that he was probably just on the tonics. Yes, <laughs> where he got his energy from. Lovely virile, life giving tonics. <laughs> never, never did Spring Hill Jack any harm. No, he was able to harass passers by for seventy odd years, <laughs> as far as far afield as Cockfosters, Scotland, and Liverpool. <laughs> According to much later accounts, in October 1837, don't understand this, a girl, so why it's going back to 1837. It was then, just setting you the range. It was saying, you know, probably died out around 19... Why did it say, according to much later accounts? Because it's poorly written. I'll be honest with you, if you're writing the Wikipedia page on Spring Hill Jack, you're not going to go back and do a lot of self-editing. Yeah. But, I mean, there's plenty of um, yeah. people who go in and edit... Well, um, sounds like you should be one of them, doesn't it? Captain yeah, Proofreader. Look, hey man, I'm very well known for writing stuff and not even reading it again, let alone self-editing it. <laughs> I just want to get the idea out there and then I'll... I prefer to I'll, just think of it and then just go, oh, I just won't bother writing it down. And then just forget rubbish it. anyway, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, it, in some instances, a bit of self-editing editing does help to mean that the narrative is um, is consistent enough to be able to be read without twisting your melon. So according to much later accounts, in October 1837, a girl by the name of Mary Stevens was walking to Lavender Hill, where she was working as a servant. After visiting her parents in Battersea and on a way through Clapham Common, a strange figure leapt at her from a dark alley. After immobilising her <laughs> with a tight grip of his arms, he began to kiss her face. Oh. 
while not ripping much. her clothes and touching her flesh with his claws. Not so. Not, no, it's not as romantic Def- as it's definitely not. Not so much. <laughs> Uh, which were, according to her uh, deposition, cold and clammy as those of a corpse. In a panic, the girl screamed, and that made the attacker quickly flee from the screen. So it's quite easy to get rid of. Yeah, he I think accounts vary, but it doesn't sound like he's terribly persistent in his attacks. <laughs> so if if you just basically I mean, go, oh, I don't like this, and he goes, oh, runs off. Got really fragile. Yeah, well, either. you know, compared to another Jack who was knocking around forty odd years later, he was a bit more, bit more lethal. I mean, Jack thank, thank, yeah, exactly, Jack Duckworth. Um, <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, nobody was too harmed in any of these sightings, as far as I can ascertain. Yeah. So the commotion brought several residents who immediately launched a search for the aggressor, but he couldn't be found. Citation needed. The next day, the leaping character is said to have chosen a very different victim near Mary Stevens' home inaugurating a method that would reappear in later reports. He jumped in the way of a passing carriage, bang, causing the coachman to lose control. Whoa! And uh, crash and severely injure himself. Ah! Several witnesses claimed that he escaped by jumping over a nine-foot-high wall while cackling in a high-pitched ringing laughter. <laughs> like Skeletor. Well, yeah, that was very much his move as well, wasn't it? Trying to overturn carriages. I've never seen him in the same room. Yep. Uh, gradually, the news of, strange, news of the strange character spread, and soon the present public gave him the name Spring Heel Jack. So that was the first, first um, sort of sightings of him. Um, so he's, so he's, not, all, he's not he's not one for subtlety. Let's put it like that. Well, I mean, so just kind of diving into it a little bit, um, witnesses tend to be unreliable be the first thing I'd say. Um, so a nine-foot wall, I mean, could be a six-foot wall, couldn't it? Six, yeah. seven-foot. People were shorter back then. Did we... Would they have known how how high well, it was? You, you judge it relative to your own height, I suppose, but um, he could have just clambered up. Yeah, but I mean, you know, what people, you know what men are like? They're always pretending to be oh, taller yeah. than they are. Twice as big as it really is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um so a nine so I mean at a push I could probably get over if it was life or death I could get over a nine foot wall, but I mean not in a leap. It'd be if scrambling just, up. If you're just harassing a, a taxi driver because you're some drunk top. Yeah, if I if I drunkenly harassed a taxi driver and then tried to climb over a nine foot wall. <laughs> sounds like something that happens in every city centre every weekend. Yeah, that's, um, that's a Friday night down Queen's Road, I'd say. Pretty much. Um I would also scale the Concord too. <laughs> also, I mean, so So there were witnesses, so that gives it more credence because otherwise my initial thought would be that the coach driver crashed it. Maybe, maybe he'd been at the gin. He just well, did a the crash. Thing, witnesses, but then you know, been paid off. Yeah. How do you, how do you know he's? Yeah. How do we know his mate just come out and startle him and then clamber over a wall afterwards? <laughs> we don't. We don't know what the maid was up to either. You know, might have been a good no. excuse. Um, get off work for a few days. Can't be bothered. The first one, I'm more more kind of. Um, I'm more like, well, I believe the first one more. 
about well, the person. I think what we've established from the start of exactly. your article is there was a fair amount of hysteria going around um, London at the time, which, again, I can understand with all of the poor lighting and what have you. Yeah. Kind of seeing ghosts all over the place. But, yeah. but no, I think there's something to this. So I do, I do think, that, you know, probably, you know, somebody coming out and trying to sort of attack somebody or just, you know, making some unwanted advances. It's yeah. not it's not outside the, the realm's possibility. Probably not breathing fire, I'll be honest with you. But you know. No. Um, or maybe maybe he's a fire eater. Yeah, or maybe Randy he Fire was, Eater. Yeah, he was drinking Sambuca or something and lighting yeah. it. They probably had Sambuca, didn't they? Um Yeah, that so, undoubtedly they did. <laughs> so official recognition. So this is going up a notch. A few months after these first sightings, on the 9th of January, 1838, the Lord Mayor of London, Sir John Cowan, revealed in a public session held at the Mansion House an anonymous complaint that he had received several days earlier, which he had withheld in the hope of obtaining further information. The correspondent who signed the letter, a resident of Peckham, wrote... Do you want to read this out? So this anonymous correspondent who signed the letter, that's interesting, he wrote... It appears that some individuals of, as the writer believes, the highest ranks of life have laid away. Can you do it in your um, in your thesp voice? We'll give it a go. So, continue with that then. It appears that some individuals of, as the writer believes, the highest ranks of life have laid a wager with a mischievous and foolhardy companion that he durst not take upon himself the task of visiting many of the villages near London in three different disguises a ghost, a bear, and a devil. And moreover, that he will not enter a gentleman's gardens for the purpose of alarming the inmates of the house. The wager war has, however, been accepted, and the unmanly villain has succeeded in depriving seven ladies of their senses, two of whom are not likely to recover, but to become burdens to their families. At one house, the man rang the bell, and on the servant coming to an open door, this worse than brute stood in no less dreadful figure than a spectre clad most perfectly. The consequence was that the poor girl immediately swooned and never from that moment been in her senses. The affair has now been going on for some time and, strange to say, the papers are still silent on the subject. The writer has reason to believe they have the whole history of their finger ends, but, through interested motives, are induced to remain silent. Oh, so... Sounds like it's a Bullingdon Club thing. Yeah, I think it's a bunch of posh twats going around playing tricks. It's kind of what it sounds like, doesn't it? Although, or that's if you're to believe this person, and he is in fact not Spring Hill Jack himself, and trying to. Do you reckon it's like yeah, it's like the Dear Jack list, or it's like a really early kind of like superhero or supervillain origin story? So some mad scientist invented some um, some spring-heeled shoes so he could jump to distances of 10 to 12 feet. And we all know that when people jump, they jump from the heel, not yeah. from the ball of their foot. No, exactly. <laughs> it's really unbalanced. And he was going to embark on a lifetime of crime and or carriage um, harassment. Miscellaneous activity. And, yeah, and... Miscellaneous Jake. Harassing young ladies out of their senses. Yeah. So so that, so basically what this person's saying to the mayor is there's some posh twats. They've had a little wager at their club or whatever. Um and 
they have said to the guy, this would be a wheeze. Um, you should dress as a ghost, a bear, and a devil and go and knock on people's doors or jump out of them. And um, that's basically what's been happening. That's that's um, anonymous. That was uh, an anonymous call from John from Peckham. So, though the Lord Mayor seemed fairly sceptical, a member of the Lord... Oh, and also, let's just say as well, that the papers knew all about it, apparently, but it was a cover-up because um, these people were upper-class, potentially. Though the Lord Mayor seemed fairly sceptical, a member of the audience confirmed that servant girls around Kensington, Hammersmith and Ealing tell dreadful stories of the ghost or devil. The matter was reported in the Times on the 9th of January, other national papers on the 10th of January, and the day after that, the Lord Mayor showed a crowded... Gathered, gathering pile of letters, sorry, um, from various places in and around London, complaining of similar wicked pranks. The quantity of these letters that poured into the mansion house suggested the stories were widespread in suburban London. One writer said several young women in Hammersmith had been frightened into dangerous fits and some severely wounded by a sort of claws that the miscreant wore in his hands. Another correspondent claimed that in Stockwell, Brixton, Camberwell and Vauxhall, Several people have died of fright, another had had fits. Meanwhile, another reported that Trickster had been repeatedly seen in Lewisham and Blackheath. So, I mean, can you die of fright? I mean, you could have a heart attack, but these seem to be young girls dying of fright. Yeah, I think this was this was back when you kind of had this whole notion of women being hysterical and this kind of like quite misogynistic sort of you know, yeah. theories of medicine. She got the vapor. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I know as well that it was claimed. It doesn't seem like any of this is substantiated. So, I, I can sort of buy that there was, again, there was probably gangs of people going around. You remember the, um, the, uh, the violent, or the sort of murderous clowns that Clown. going around a little while back, yeah. Yeah, what's funny about that is that's why McDonald's had to uh, stop using Ronald McDonald as a spokesperson. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because there was um, the people dressing up as like yeah insane murderous clowns and just trying to scare people just for a laugh. And so, because that was getting quite big, then people clownophobia or whatever it is, clownophobia, I think it's called. But yeah, yeah, and they um. Yeah, so that McDonald's have rested Ronald McDonald's because of it. <laughs> about time. I never found him terrible. The whole thing about clowns being terrifying, I don't get. But yeah, just a bit weird mm. and sad, definitely. Um, I think it's a mixture probably of the painted face, painted smiles. People don't oh, it's, like It's off putting, do you know what I mean? It's, it's creepy enough. And also the fact they hang around kids. Yeah. I think it's probably... It was probably you know, good entertainment around 500 years ago, don't get me wrong, but we've got to keep it the times. Yeah, I mean, I saw... I mean, there were still clowns at school fates and stuff when I was a kid, and I wasn't particularly... I thought there was... I didn't think they were particularly entertaining, but they weren't scary. They weren't scary. But then I was in, but then I was in South London, yeah. so, you know, we'd beaten them up. <laughs> no, it's, it's just like the worst part of the circus. You know, it'd be something like, you know, doing some gymnastics or something like that, or just torturing an animal. 
Yeah, and then, then you'd be like, difficult one to rinse. And you're like, oh, let's let's the worst part. Let's have some untalented people coming out and doing pratfalls. Really unfunny. I tell you what, Chris, if he carries that ladder around like that, he's going to knock that other one over. Oh yes, he has. Oh, but he's got a bucket full of confetti. Oh. I wonder um, where that's going. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, I feel profoundly sad. Uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm not a circus fan in general, anyway. Yeah, I think I maybe went to one or two when I was a kid. Good luck to you if you like them. I think stuff like throwing knives and stuff is quite good. But well, I, I like trapeze and all that sort of thing. I think there's a sort of yeah, yeah, trapeze and stuff. I mean, really skillful, really impressive. But I don't find it particularly entertaining personally. Any more than I find sort of gymnastics very entertaining. I don't. I'm kind of more of a team sport person. No, fair enough. Um, so, the Lord Mayor himself was in two minds about the affair. He thought the greatest exaggerations had been made, and it was quite impossible that the ghost performs the feats of a devil upon earth. But, on the other hand, someone he had trusted had told him of a servant girl at Forest Hill who had been scared into fits by a figure in a bearskin. He was confident the personal personas or persons involved in this pantomime display would be caught and punished. The police were instructed to search for individuals responsible and rewards were offered. A peculiar report from the Brighton Gazette, we hometown, which appeared on the 14th of April, 1838 edition of The Times, related how a gardener in Rose Hill, Sussex, had been terrified by a creature of unknown nature. The Times wrote that Spring Hill Jack has, it seems, found its way to the Sussex coast even though the report bore little resemblance to other accounts of Jack. The incident occurred on the 13th of April when it appeared to a gardener in the shape of a bear or some other four-footed animal, having attracted the gardener's attention by a growl. Ah. <laughs> ah. <laughs> then it climbed the garden wall and ran along on all fours before jumping down and chasing the gardener for some time. After terrifying the gardener, the apparition scaled the room made See, that sounds like a laugh. I, I think he's just a little prankster, isn't he? He's just, a, he's just, he's just having a bit of fun. I'll tell you what I'm thinking as well, and it's just not going to mean anything to anyone. Stuff about grabbing women. No, that's yeah, yeah, that's that's awful. Um, there you go. But um, dressed up as a bear and going, exactly. Sc- scaring gardeners in Brighton. I'm all, I'm all about that. And I was just thinking it would mean nothing to anyone who doesn't live in Brighton. But the evening Argus um, headlines would be good if they were doing that. You know, yeah. Bear, bear, clothed git, scares gardener or whatever. You come here. <laughs> so, Rose Hill. So that's um, that's just down by Preston Circus, isn't it? Rose Hill. Okay, yeah, I'm not sure. Between London Roads and the level for anyone who knows the area. Well, that's where Ro- the Rose Hill, Rose Hill Road and stuff is, and the Rose Hill Pub. Um, I assumed it was so, a village slightly north of Brighton, but uh, yeah, but it probably would have been yeah, at the time. Exactly. So do you want to um, go ahead and read some of the scales and all SOP reports? Yeah, so so <clears throat> the best known of the alleged incidents involving Spring Hill Jack were attacks on two teenage girls. He's a bit of a bit yeah. of a perv, isn't he? He's a bit of a wrong one. Um so Lucy Scales. I mean it does sound it does sound a bit like one of those things where someone sort of starts something as a bit of a joke and then someone else goes Sort of um, like copycat, but like more um, more nefarious people have like 
thought, right, I can use this hysteria to get away with some stuff. Indeed. Do you know what I mean? Indeed, yeah. It does feel a bit like that. Or it's a devil prowling around on Earth. Got a lot of, More got than a lot of time on the Yeah. Never quite sure of his motivations and those kind of things. When you see him, he's like, "What the devil?" Yeah, we know people report. Oh, you know, the devil came down to a village and then trod some cloven hoof marks in the snow. It's like, why? Better stuff um, to do in just hell, to keep it? people guessing. Yeah, just a little prankster, isn't he? What would you do if you were the devil, Neil? That's what you're asking. Um, rain in hell. Yeah, but I mean, that's got to get boring, isn't it? Yeah, after a while, I guess. Been a while since I've been. Isn't his ultimate plan to take over the earth? Well, I believe they're going to have a war at the rapture, yeah. Fight with the angels. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be get pretty tasty, I'll tell you what. Yeah, it's going to get it's going to be a bit naughty. <laughs> you, you might, you might have Archangel Michael on your side, but we've got Springy Old Jack. <laughs> <laughs> He'll scare your gardener and then run away. I'll be honest with you, lad. If not, <laughs> we want to do a bit more recruitment. <laughs> No, no, it's, it's good. I, I laid down some crop circles and then I went and put some cloven hooves in the snow to scare the villagers. <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> We're going to get fucking toasted against the angels. <laughs> We're going to get tongs. We're going to get absolutely fucking mullered. Oh, no. We're going to go out there and do a crop circle, try and scare someone. That's going to work uh, against the Metron. You're having a fucking bubble. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why they're all poor actors in London. <laughs> That's gonna be that's gonna beat the Alpha and the Omega, isn't it? You slags. Come up come back to me with some good ideas. Right. right. Jane Alsop. So she reported on the night of nineteenth of February thirty eight. She'd answered the door to her father's house to a man claiming to be a police officer who told her to bring a light, claiming we have caught Spring Hill Jack here in the lane. Clever. Subterfuge. Well, why I mean, but then why would the police officer they were very they were sort of naive then, yeah. weren't they? Well, right, we've caught some old Jack here in the lane. Okay, what witness? Okay, so why do you need a teenage girl? Yeah. <laughs> well, you just see a man in authority, you know, and you just just react, don't you? I guess. I guess so. Shocking abuse. So she brought them a candle. Noticed that he wore a large cloak. Well, she always didn't take the door, but there you go. And then the moment she'd handed the candle, he threw off the cloak and presented a most hideous and frightful appearance vomiting blue and white flame from his mouth while his eyes resembled red balls of fire. That's where that's come from. Yep. She reported he wore a large helmet and his clothing, which appeared to be very tight-fitting, resembled white oil skin. Without saying a word, he caught hold of her and began tearing her gown with the claws. There was some metallic substance. Screamed for help, managed to get away from him and ran towards the house. He caught her on the steps, tore her at her neck and arms with his claws, but she was rescued by one of her assistants and then he ran away. So... <clears throat> Again, you know, he's he's easy to scare off, isn't he? Seems to be quite easy. Um, not sure what the claws are for. Is it just for tearing tearing women's clothing? Early Wolverine or... fanfic. <laughs> That's Wolverine fetish. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those. Yeah, so these are the ones where he's. Um, He's a horrible character now, isn't he? He's not just scaring gardeners. No. He's scaring gardeners. Something... We can all get behind you leaping over the fence and pretending to be a bear and scaring the gardener. That's just good. Yeah, we've all done good that. Good Victorian drollery. That's japes aplenty. Yeah. We're all behind that. Yeah. That's Jeeves yeah. and Worcester-esque. Assaulting, that is, assaulting women. That's while, while pretending to be a police officer. Yeah. Nothing but contempt for you. No, that's not good. Sorry, Spring um, Hill Jack. Get your fucking act together. 
you hand yourself in. Um, so scales case is it something? Well, similar? it is nine days after the attack on Miss Alsop. So an eighteen-year-old. He likes them young, doesn't he? Um, yeah. The sister were visiting home after visiting their brother, a butcher who lived in a respectable part of Limehouse. And she stated in a deposition to the police that as she and her sister were passing along Green Dragon Alley, they observed the person standing in an angle of the passage. She's walking in front of her sister at the time, and just as she came up to the person who was wearing a large cloak, he spurted a quantity of blue flame in her face that deprived her of sight, and so alarmed her, she instantly dropped to the ground and was seized with violent fits for several hours. That sounds like one of those acid attacks. Mm, yeah. They're awful, aren't they? Yeah. But they've been going on for years oh, in yeah. London. I know they've come and come back. Come back with a vengeance, but, like, they've been, like, people have been doing acid attacks. <laughs> um, it just sounds stupid, doesn't it? They've been doing that for hundreds and hundreds of well, years. Well, you know, exactly. Not... It goes goes back to, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, all right, it's a, it's a novel, but like Brighton Rock, he used to, you know, carry it around a, a bottle of Oh, even before that, so the, um, one of the sort of characters, um, around Jack Wilde, who was a crime boss oh, yeah. in London in like the early sort of seven, 1600s, I guess. So like 1730, that kind of stuff. So a hundred years before this stuff, one of like one of their, that someone was, I can't remember the ins and outs, but someone who was in his sort of group of miscreants mm. had acid thrown in his face in um, in court. So this kind of stuff was going on in London for years and years and yeah. years. I didn't. I guess acid, like they wouldn't have had the same checks and balances on purchasing acid as we do now. But I wouldn't have thought acid was around for that long. I mean, apart from natural acid, like lemon juice or whatever, but sulfuric acid and stuff. So I thought that, I wouldn't have thought the chemistry was that far along, but that's probably just me being naive. Yeah, well, I mean, you're, you're kind of like, um, it's kind of 19th century, a lot of your organic chemistry, but then I think um, acids and bases were known about for, yeah, quite some time before, I would have thought. I think no, I think acids are going back years and years and years, because you say you've got sort of natural acids and things like that. So, yeah, so she's she's um, been seized with violent fits that continued for several hours, as you said. And her brother had added on the evening in question, he'd heard loud screams from one of the sisters moments after they left the house. And when he ran up, he found her on the ground having a fit. She was taken home, and then she described the uh, the assailant being of tall, thin and gentlemanly appearance, covered in a large cloak and carrying a small lamp, similar to those used by the police. They didn't speak or try to lay hands on them, but walked quickly away. So no um, sexual components, or, you know, unless you consider the spitting of stuff, sort of... Well, getting get my cracker hat on, um, or whoever you want, uh, Chris, I, I think I think our, our suspect is impotent. You, yeah. so that, that's... It's like spitting. I analyse him now. Yeah, probably. Yeah. The, the flame and the and the red, red eyeballs, notorious um, characteristics of an unsuccessful... Masturbator. <laughs> and his, his fury is causing him to carry out these attacks. Must be, yeah. yeah. Makes sense to me. Yeah. And obviously he's growing claws, as, as any member of the criminal underclass. Only I can't believe a gentleman would do these things. No, no gentleman would prowl around in an old cloak with flaming red eyes. 
Uh, flaming green eyes, yes. God, different. Um, so, well, we've got some. We got some. You know, some some sources here. We've got. You know, multiple the thing is attacks. That I would say that um, the newspapers of Victorian London were no more accurate than they are now. They, they were very sensationalist. Yeah. So um, stuff along the lines of um, like Jack the Ripper and now going he kills prostitutes, right? Something like at least three of the five women he killed, there's no evidence that they ever did any sex work. Yeah. They just so, – so that was just um, the papers so they could wrap it up in a neat narrative – but also because of the moralistic attitudes of Victorian London, it was saying, you know, these were fallen women. Essentially, they deserved it. You know, women should stay in the home. You know, women who act correctly won't get murdered up in a horrible way and that kind of stuff rather than... It's looking sadly at, a mentality that still persists, isn't yeah, it? A lot of, yeah, in a lot of ways it does. Certain sections of the press, yeah. So... Popularisation. The Times reported the alleged attack on Jane Alsop on the 2nd of March 1838 under the heading The Late Outage at Old Falls. Weird title. Outrage. Outrage. (laughs) Outage. (laughs) There's been an outage at the Old Falls. This was followed with an account of the trial of one Thomas Milbank, who immediately after the reported attack on Jane Alsop had boasted in the Morgan's arm that he was Springhill Jack, uh, one of those. Oh, yeah, that's me. Yeah, I'm Springhill Jack. Get us a drink. Yeah, I've let nine foot over a fence a few times. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Don't ask, don't tell. Um, Don't ask me no questions. I won't tell you no lies. Gotcha. He was arrested and then tried at Lambeth Street Court. The arresting officer was James Lee who had also claimed he was Springhill Jack. No. Yeah. Who was, Correct me if I'm was, wrong, but didn't he uh, arrest William Calder, the Red Burn murderer? Or the Red Burn He did. He, he had earlier on. Well done, Neil. Good memory. Yeah. It's almost like I'm reading a sentence ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Milbank had been wearing white overalls and a grey coat, which he dropped outside the house, and the candle he had dropped was also found. He escaped conviction only because Jane also insisted that her attack would breathe fire. Milbank admitted he could do no such thing. No, I can't do it, mate. <laughs> sure, his eggs is eggs. This is like this is like OJ with a glove, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Don't, don't, you don't rely on evidence from suspect. <laughs> I can't. I can't breathe far. Look, look at me trying. <laughs> trying my hardest, back up. Trying the hardest. I can't do it, mate. I'll do it. <laughs> Most of the other accounts were written long after this date. Contemporary newspapers do not mention them. After these incidents, Springhill Jack became one of the most popular characters of the periods. Well, I mean, what's not to like? Yes. <laughs> Blinding women, sexual assaults. More, more of a villain than an anti-hero. I mean, as, as we both we both said, you know, garden, gardener scaring. We're pretty up for That's that fine. for some reason. That's fine. I'm thinking of but, I'm thinking uh, of doing that actually. Um, yeah, you know, you're you're thinking of doing that. I'm doing it right now. Future tense. Yeah. Uh, his alleged exploits were reported in newspapers and became the subject of several penny dreadfuls and plays performed in cheap theatres that abound at that time. The Devil Was Renamed Spoon Hill Jack in some Punch and Judy shows, and recounted by Henry Mayhew in his London Labour and the London Poor. This here is... I'll be honest with you, I, I, I liked Spring Hill Jack when he was just 
trawling around the sort of like the small parts of London. It's, when he got into the Penny Dreadfuls, he just sold down. You reckon? I, I like it. Yeah, his first album was good, but he's got he's got a key commercial after that. I am Spring Hill Jack. Read my juiciest stories in the latest Penny Dreadfuls out now. So. Here's a quote from... He'd be on reality TV these days, wouldn't huh? they? He would be on reality. He'd be on reality yeah, yeah. Love Island. Spring Hill Jack and Friends. <laughs> Spring Hill Jack Island. The only way is Spring Hill Jack. Um, made in... Well, he could, made in Kensington. I mean, he could be made in Chelsea, couldn't he? he could, I'm sure he probably was. Um, so Henry Mayhew, here's um, a little quote from London's Labour and the London Poor from page 52. Just in case anyone's got that and wants to look it up. This here is Satan. We might say the devil, but that ain't right. And gentle folks don't like such words. He is now commonly called Springhill Jack, or the Rosarian Bear. That's since the war. Interesting quote there. Don't know what any of it means. I presume they were having a Barney with Russia, but where was... No, the Crimean War was a lot No, I don't, it wasn't later than that. That would have been Crimean War. But even as his fame was growing, reports of Spring Hill Jack's appearance became less frequent, if more widespread. In 1843, however, a wave of sightings swept the country again. A report from Northamptonshire described him as the very image of the devil himself with horns and eyes of flame. Said so that's not Northamptonshire accent. Uh, and in East Anglia, reports of attacks on drivers of mail coaches became common. In July 1847, a Spring Hill Jack investigation in Tynemouth, Devon, led to Captain Finch being convicted of two charges of assault against women, during which he said to he is said to have been disguised in a skin coat, which made the appearance of a bullock's hide, skull cap, and horns and mask. The legend was linked with the phenomenon of the devil's footprints, which appeared in Devon in February 1855. So, I mean, this sounds like people are just dressing up as him, doesn't it? Like we were saying earlier, copycats. Yeah, well, this, the devil's footprints. I mean, this is the yeah, this is the the one where they, um, you know, Satan's just like decided to go out and have a have a mooch around in the snow to scare villagers, or a drunken um, cobbler mm-hmm. or whatever. No, what do they call blacksmith? That? Smith. Yeah, drunken blacksmith yeah. and a laugh. He doesn't even have to be drunk, does he? I mean. It's slightly more realistic than the manifestation of Satan coming down to earth to go and put some... But as we've said, you know, in, this, uh, in this podcast, leave Occam's razor at the door. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And honestly, click on the page for uh, Devil's Footprints because the, uh, the theories... I'm just going to read out the titles. Balloon, Hopping Mice, Kangaroo, Badgers. Balloon? Where's, where's, drunken, where's Drunken Blacksmith? Well, I assume he was floating off the ground or something. Um, let's have a look. <clears throat> Author Jeffrey Household suggested an experimental balloon released by mistake from Devon Dockyard had left the mysterious tracks by trailing two shackles on the end of its mooring ropes. Right. That drunken blacksmith. Hopping mice. Mike Dash suggested that at least some of the prints, including those found on rooftops, could have been made by hopping rodents such as wood right. mice. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. A letter to the Illustrated London News during 1855, GM Musgrove wrote, in the course of a few days, a report was circulated that a couple of kangaroos escaped from a private menagerie. Mr. Fisher's, I believe, at Sidmouth. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what that's got to do with anything. Oh, well, kangaroos famously wear horseshoes, don't they? <laughs> with their clothes. This is someone who's never seen either a mouse, right, or a kangaroo, because 
neither of them, as far as I'm aware, have cloven hooves. What if they were possessed by the devil, though? I mean, even then, would that change their physical appearance? Doth he take on his antipathy <laughs> form? <laughs> to scare the simple village folk. <laughs> and then adorn himself with claws and flavoured mouth. Eyes of fury. <laughs> yeah. And it's heels of spring. The better for scaling walls. <laughs> the better for leaping walls after carriage mishaps. So, the last reports. In the beginning of the 1870s, Spring-Heeled Jack was reported again in several places, distant from each other. In November 1872, the News of the World, sadly, no longer with us, sadly, um, but cherished, cherished newspaper from the past, reported that in... That Peckham was in a state of high commotion owing to known to what's known as the Peckham Ghost, a mysterious figure, quite alarming in appearance. Their editorial points out that it was none other than Springfield Jack, who terrified a past generation. Similar stories were published in the Illustrated Police News, sadly no longer with us, much much maligned. In April and May 1873, it, uh, those are the back issues. Yeah, those are the back, back issues. issues. Uh, Get a good, good hanging, good murder. <laughs> Let you up for Sunday. He reported there were numerous sightings in Sheffield of the park ghost, which locals also came to identify as Springhill Jack. Sounds like everyone was just calling everything Springhill Jack. That's probably Springhill Jack. Oh, what cup fellow <laughs> Springhill Jack? It's up to, up to, up to his tricks. Up his neighbour's uh, tricks. My wife walked in, in on me with a lady of the night, Springhill Jack. <laughs> Springer Jack did it. Yeah. Oh no, I've... that was the, the less known, less known version of that <laughs> yeah. Shaggy song. I've left. It, it was Springer Jack. Jack. <laughs> Springer Jack. You got me your Spring... camera. Springer Jack. <laughs> Jack. Um, <laughs> um, and of course, Shaggy got interested in that after um, speaking with Louis Baker about the big man. At the pig man, kind of change. Shaggy all, all decided that he needed to get into urban legend songs more um, because he hadn't had a big hit since. Said, That's fine, but I like Eddie. I like my folklore more of the Victorian <laughs> era. Give it my own twist. <laughs> yeah, just just gives it a bit more class, having a bit more yeah, exactly. posterity to it. Bigger, and it's a bigger story as well. Um, yeah, who knows? In two hundred years, the pig man might be a much maybe. bigger story. He needs a gimmick, doesn't he? He needs to start overturning carriages and sort of jumping over trays. Well, he should have a do up his game. Really boring yeah. gimmick or something like stealing change, <laughs> stealing yeah. stealing tips from waiters. So yeah. you can leave a tip, but don't leave a tip, and then go, "Nah, it's pig man." Yeah. <laughs> pig man must have got it. Um, so here are some of the last reports, the last ones. So in Aldershot, which is um, a military encampment slash town in the UK, the news was followed by more sightings, so the news of the Sheffield Park ghost, Spring Hill Jack, until 1877. One of the most notable reports about Spring Hill Jack came from a group of soldiers in the Aldershot garrison. The story went as follows. A sentry on duty at North Camp peered into the darkness, his attention attracted by a peculiar figure advancing towards him. The soldier issued a challenge. Who goes there? Something like that, probably. 
I would imagine. Uh, which went unheeded, and the figure came up beside him and delivered several slaps to the face. <laughs> Not much of a sound. like the Tango Man, though. Yeah, it does sound like the old Tango Man, which they had to ban. Because kids were doing it at school. I know we were. Well, it's a gateway drug to Spring Hill Jack. <laughs> I mean, one, one, one minute you'll be slapping people in the face, the next you'll be jumping over walls and breathing fire. <laughs> Slippery slope. Yeah. Um, a guard shot at him with no visible effects. Some sources claim the soldier may have fired blanks at him. Oh, it sounds like he was in on it. Or just a poor shot. Yeah, or others that he missed. They've always got to take it a step too far, haven't they? Mm. Maybe he just missed. We'll be loading it with blanks. What is he in cahoots? Yeah. What the fuck's that all about? He had a starter's pistol. Um, oh, no, I just remembered it was a knife, not a gun. <laughs> bang, bang. <laughs> He's pointed the knife at them. Apparition. Um, <laughs> the strange figure then disappeared into the surrounding darkness with astonishing bounds. Lord Ernest Hamilton. 1822, a memoir of 40 years on, mentions that all the shot appearances of Spring Hill Jack. However, he, apparently erroneously, says that they occurred in the winter of 1879 after his regiment, the 60th Rifles, had moved to Aldershot, and similar appearances had occurred when the regiment was at barracks in Colchester in the winter of 1878. He has that a panic had become so great at Aldershot that centuries were issued ammunition in order to shoot the nag terror on sight, following which the appearances ceased. Hamilton thought the appearances were actually pranks carried out by one of his fellow officers, Lieutenant Alfrey. However, there's no record of Alfrey ever being court-martialed for the offence. Maybe he just never got caught. Yeah, we know what these Alfreys are like. Um, So Lincolnshire. In the autumn of 1877, Springhill Jack was reportedly seen at Newport Arch in Lincoln, Lincolnshire, wearing a sheepskin... (laughs) Just, just like no, or a sheepskin jacket, or was he doing like a Jason and the Argonauts thing, trying to hide from a Golden cyclops? Fleece, yeah, yeah. Uh, the angry mob supposedly chased him and cornered him, and just as an older shot a while before, residents fired at him to no effect. As usual, he was said to have made his use of leaping abilities to lose the crowds and disappear once again. But again, um, sheep's he's wearing a sheepskin that's got no relevance to any previous sightings. Yeah, but this is this is like, you know, 40 years after, so he's like, you're keeping up with the fashion. <laughs> in a sheepskin jacket like John Motson. And much like you would in sort of like one of those video games, he's just jumping up and down so you can't aim properly, can't shoot him. Yeah, it was just griefing them. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, teabagging, like just constantly crouching yeah. up and down. Uh, <laughs> that put me off when I tried to do online gaming once. Just yeah, just people jumping around like fucking rabbits. Mm. Sort of suspended this. You can't suspend your disbelief. So Liverpool, by the end of the nineteenth century, reports of Springhill Jack were moving towards the northwest of England, more affordable housing. Yeah. Um, or maybe he worked for the BBC. Don't know. Uh, around 1888 in Everton, North Liverpool, he allegedly appeared on rooftops of uh, St Francis Xavier's Church in Salisbury Street. In 1904, there are reports of an appearance in nearby William Henry Street. So we don't hear about his trip to Scotland. What, what did he get? What did he get up to in Everton? Yeah, that was that was the thing I was going to say. Is what happened in Liverpool and Scotland? So we found in Liverpool, but. So he jumped on a church roof. Yeah. Whee! It's probably just nicking got, the lead. Yeah. Just some bloke He's probably down the lead. his luck by this point. Yeah. 
No, it's all right, mate. I'm springing off Jack. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> you, keep, you keep your nose clear. Hey, right? Don't you worry about right? that. I'm CEO Jack, mate. I'll come down there and breathe fire at you. Um, so, aftermath and impact from Victorian popular culture. The vast urban land legend built around Spring Hill Jack influenced many aspects of Victorian life, especially in contemporary popular culture. For decades, especially in London, his name was equated with the bogeyman as a means of scaring children into behaving and telling them if they weren't good, Spring Hill Jack would leap up and peer at them through the bedroom windows by night with his flaming red eyes. However, it was in fictional entertainment where the legend of Spring Hill Jack exerted most extensive influence owing to his allegedly extraordinary nature. Three pamphlet publications, purportedly based on the real events, appeared almost immediately during January and February 1838. They were not advertised as fiction, though likely, um, or though they were likely were at least partly so. That's a really odd sentence. The only known copies were reported to have perished when London Library was hit during the Blitz, but the catalogue still lists the first one. The character was written into a number of penny dreadful stories, as we've already said, yada yada. So theories. Neil, do you want to take us through some theories? Right. So they didn't catch anyone, but... No. Our first, you know, some investigators, they just think it's like mass hysteria. You know, everyone was a bit... You know, looking out for the devil in those those times, times well, like, quite late on for that kind of thing. Um, but then there've they've been some people who've actually. Are you reading? Are you reading this verbatim? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You can tell by the way it's so slick and well enunciated. Already, I like this guy's casual writing style. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just kind of summarising. I'm kind of summarising because you, you, they've also put it yeah. down to an Irish nobleman, the Marquis of uh, Waterford. So apparently, he was a bit of a nutter. Um, he used to. He loved the wager, especially an irresponsible one, and he was known around the place as the Mad Marquis. And he was um, he was in the London area at the time. Didn't like women. Contempt for women. Contempt for the police. Irregular behaviour. Do anything for a bat. And he was named in 1880 the perpetrator by E. Cobham Brewer, who said that the Marquess used to amuse himself by springing on travellers unawares to frighten them, and from time to time others have followed his silly example. Take that, you bastard! <laughs> oh. well, I think he, I think he was probably more of a landlord than one of the people there. Yeah, um, I would have thought so. Yeah, eighteen forty-two. He married and settled in Curramore House, County Waterford, and reported led an exemplary life until he died of a riding accident in eighteen fifty-nine. Did he though? So what, was he, what was he doing in Liverpool in nineteen oh four? Then hmm? no, I think we've already. I think we've already. Um, established the copycat theory. Yeah. We've established that it was just someone stealing. It was a Liverpudlian stealing a lead from a church roof. church roof. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So mostly exaggerated noises through mass hysteria, a process in which many sociological issues may have contributed, including unsupported rumours, superstition, oral tradition, sensationalist publications, and a folklore rich in tales of fairies and strange roguish creatures. Ooh. Sounds like a sexy time, doesn't it? Well, to be honest with you, there was no EastEnders, so all reality TV. So you get to make your own fun, didn't you? But I quite—I'd like to live making up stories about. Yeah, but I mean, the thing is with that is that's all of that kind of stuff harks back to, you know, sort of what 
all early humans sort of believe in, which is, you know, like we mentioned Shinto before, that kind of thing, where you believe like there are spirits and stuff around. And mm. that, as much as Abrahamic religions mainly try and stamp that out, it just kind of pops up as ghosts and spring your jacks and that, doesn't it, really? <laughs> it's, um, it seems to be quite deeply ingrained in the human shared experience slash psyche. People love a story as well, and uh, as we can see from all the penny dreadfuls that they. Yeah, it makes things less boring because you know you would have been industrial revolution working in a factory for eighteen hours a day or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It, everything seemed pretty bleak in Victorian London for the majority of people. You'd think so. Don't know, a bit of excitement, isn't it? I think that's that's fair to say. Yeah, I think they could. Uh... I think I think you know fiction's moved on, but it's an interesting bit of folklore. So there are other there are other Spring Hill Jacks in different countries. Oh, that's interesting. So there's um, there's a similar figure known as Perak, the Spring Man of Prague. He was reported to have been seen in Czechoslovakia around 1839 to 1845, so a lot later. Writers such as Mike Dash have shown the elusiveness and supernatural leaping abilities attributed to Perak bear a close resemblance to those exhibited by spring Jack, and distinct parallels can be drawn between the two entities. The stories of Perak produce a useful example of how the traits of spring Jack have broad cultural resonance in urban folklore. Perak, like spring Jack, went on to become a folklore hero. I don't know if spring Jack was a hero. Some, perhaps. Uh, even starring several animated superhero cartoons fighting the SS, the early of which is uh, Giri Tunkas, uh, 1940s, and sorry for that, 1946, Perak uh, SS, or Springman in the SS. So they had him, so he sounds like a much more, do you know what that sound, that kind of sounds like to me? It sounds like someone's heard of Spring Hill Jack and what must have been a very dark time in Czechoslovakia. Mm because they were under Nazi occupation, they've cr- sort of conflated, or is that the right words? They've kind of... Um, yeah, well, if they've, they've used they've, that they've, made, then... they've kind of made a popular yeah. hero. Well, who's worse? A lad that sort of jumps around and slashes kills, the people, all the Nazis. Uh, but... Kills the Nazis, yeah. Yeah, so, so have him. That sounds like, you know, yeah. that's a useful that's a useful narrative to kind of keep morale up, isn't it? Yeah. That's what it sounds like to me. So I think, I mean, we've been quite um, quite reading heavy. I'll be honest, it's mostly been reading the Wikipedia page. It has, yeah. I've liked it. Um, so it's good. What? So what kind of thoughts do you have on this Spring Hill Jack? I think the conclusion which I've come to um, is that initially it was some posh twats, um, doing some pranks and jumping out on people. And then afterwards there was a spate of more nefarious people who who did copycat killings, but also killings, there was no killings, who did copycat sort of stuff. Um, so basically they dressed up and used that to assault women. And that also just Spring Hill Jack became sort of a commonplace sort of name in the collective lexicon to 
uh, for kind of anything sort of out of the ordinary for a bit. Well, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, in quite a rigid society in sort of early Victorian era, then it would be quite scary if somebody just came out and did something very out of the out of the blue like that. And you couldn't have accused somebody, you know. I, I can imagine if you've got some sort of young men who've got too much money and too, too much time on their hands, you know, playing what they think are harmless pranks, which, you know, not really. But, uh, yeah, I, I think you're probably right. I think it's... Uh, that that's how that got about, and then as you say, it just becomes part of the folklore. Then people start um, seeing in all the details about you know, breathing you don't believe in the fire breathing and jumping over nine foot walls. <laughs> well, I mean, it could, you know, hey, it could be a similar to what we were saying in the last cast. You know, possibly mad scientists, <laughs> mad Victorian scientists, bred a half devil, well, half scientist, half demonologist, <laughs> bred a, a half man, yeah. half half devil. Um, but he's just no. He was a good lad. Like he, you know, he he'd be all up in it in the Second World War. Unfortunately, you know, he kept kept making himself claws and, and attacking yeah. young ladies. He just couldn't couldn't behave himself around young women. And um, yeah, he loved a bit of mischief. And we should never have made him those um, special no. boots. Absolutely. So we are going to now go through using the scientific methods of our urban legend. Uh, patented matrix, score matrix, and we will be marking this out of four topics, and that is spookiness, believability, reach, and narrative slash premise, and that will give us an overall score out of a possible 80 um, to add to my little Excel spreadsheet for ranking them. Which I haven't got. So, Neil, spookiness, go. Give me your thoughts and your score. Okay, so I think he's ticking a lot of the boxes here for me. So, breathing fire, having a devilish appearance, you know, claws. I mean, that's good. That's a bit of Freddy Krueger business going on very early, or, or, or Wolverine, if you prefer. So, that's all pretty spooky. I'll be honest with you, jumping over high walls, less spooky for me. And <laughs> Spring Hill Jack, no. No, I think that's a, that's a good, what... I'm going to, for the time, for the time as well, I'm going to go, I'm going to give him a 7 out of 10. Whoa. That's, a big, I think it's some, that's some the good... biggest score anyone's got on any topic so far. I think that's, uh, yeah, I'm possibly going too high, but yeah, no, he's pretty, pretty devilish. Um, I think, I think if somebody came out and did do that, you'd be pretty terrified. I think that's quite spooky. Okay. Um, I'm going slightly opposite way than you on this. I don't find this guy very spooky at all. Um, because I'm not buying into the fire eyes. <laughs> um, if you were a gardener, I'll tell you what, you'd be breaking it. Um, it sounds, because in my head, it's some um, Bertie Wooster character dressed up with devil horns on, jumping around like an idiot. I think I wouldn't be that scared of that person. I'd be a no- more annoyed than scared. But, yeah, but... And again, like his crimes seem to be like just common assault. Yeah. There's not nearly anything. I suppose that you know, there's a devilly stuff if you want that. Uh, I don't think he's particularly spooky, so I'm only going to give him. I think he's that for me. He's probably less spooky than the Black Eyed Children. Fair enough. Personally, um, so I'm yeah. going to give him a three for spookiness. Average each other out here, yeah. 
Okay, so believability. So I'll go first. I think there's definitely a kernel of truth probably in this. Um, I think that some of the stuff has been, uh, what do you say, uh, embellished, I guess. Yeah, um, I think so. I think, that, I think there is a kernel of truth, some of it. So I would say this is probably going to be one of the more believable ones. So I'm going to give it a seven for believability. Neil. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't believe it was the brief fire or the devil creature. You do know, you absolutely. No, do. I said that the, the story's spooky, but um, <laughs> and all jumps have a nine foot walls. But um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think as you say, I think they're probably, you know, I can imagine that there were sort of assaults and things like this, and we saw a, a much more terrifying version coming around, sort of forty years later. Um, so yeah, I, I think um, believably maybe six out of ten for me, and that there was definitely a substance, I think, to the attacks. Um, but I don't believe that they could jump over ten foot walls or was a demon child or any of the rest of it. Fair enough. So, reach. So, big reach in the UK. Um, well, he's gone international, he's fighting Nazis in Prague, man. Yeah, although that's technically apparently a different person. Um, I mean, he's big in. He's he's fairly big in um, popular culture. Did he break the states? Uh, don't know. You know, like Robbie Williams. Did he? You know, did he? Did he? Like Craig David. (laughs) He tried to break. Did he make it in the states? That's always the crucial thing. He tried to break America, and it didn't work out. And then he had to go back and live in Prague. Um, Yeah, couldn't couldn't face going back to Lewisham. <laughs> not after, not after, after going, all that boasting, I'm out of here. I'm going to bang all his bridges. <laughs> yeah, fuck off. I'm off to. I'll spring you, Jack. You won't see me again. I'm off to break America. Um, I don't. Well, think... listen, listen. There's an American third wave ska band called Spring Hill Jack. So... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take that as a no. He didn't break America. <laughs> Um, so he's in computer games and stuff. Uh, he's been in spe- like different books and that kind of stuff. Um, so I think that he's. I mean, but also we've got to remember here as well that when it comes to Reach, this stuff happened like nearly two hundred years ago. Yeah. So time is also has to be considered. So he's still known about now, so that's good. Whereas I don't think the black-eyed children necessarily be known in 200 years. They didn't last in 200 years. Well, they won't be known because they'll have taken over. Um, We won't be known in 200 years. Um, So I'm going to say he's got a fairly good reach, but he hasn't got an international thing and has not been spotted anymore. So I'm going to go for another seven, I think. What about you, Neil? Well, similar, similar argument, and I don't with the international thing. I think you know he's gone up to probably. I think it's, I think it's an eight out of ten for me. I think, um, as you say, it's been around for two hundred years. It's, I think it is known worldwide. It's just not, you know, possibly as popular. But you know, um, it's not. You know, you, let's face it, he doesn't really. He's not really part of folkloric mythology anymore. Really, you don't hit. You know, you don't get updated tales on. Spring Hill Jack, no. but he's, as you say, he's been referenced in sort of you know computer games and things like that. So it's known. Doesn't hate from Neil. 
he's getting a huge, he's easily the biggest one, but Agreed. I think we knew that, didn't we? Um, so narrative premise. So this is where it falls down a little bit for me. Um, I don't, there's not much of a narrative there apart from basically like a sex pest slash, yeah, like just uh, a it's nuisance. Just, it's a superpowered demonic creep. <laughs> He's basically a nuisance. There is no real narrative. The premises, like it just turns up. Um, there's not really much of a narrative there for me. Um, so narrative-wise, and the premise isn't great. Some bloke can jump a bit. So I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it a three. Yeah, I'm kind of rolling back on my speaky mark here, but yeah, it's, it's inherently a bit. I think I may have scored that too high, but there we go. Unfortunately, you're very easily spooked. Yeah, that's true, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and all that fire breathing, I've never liked it. Um, yeah, it, it, the name's a bit silly, and um, it's. I don't know what this has got to do with narrative. So it's about, um, but yeah, no, you're right. There's not, there's not really that, you know, good, good reach, good, good, um, good bit of folklore. And I suppose, you know, it'd be interesting to see if, we, you know, what, what does look like a sort of strong narrative to some of these things. Cause I think generally it's just something that, um, I mean, I suppose the one thing is he, yeah, I mean, it's not, there's not really much of a narrative to the story is there. It's just cause let's face it. It was just some drunken idiot who was just buried in London. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, and just people being terrified because the devil's up to whatever he did. Poor motivation. Yeah, it's four out of four out of ten here for me, I think. Oh, okay. So overall, that gives us, is that right? 45 out of 80. So yeah. that is easily. I'd expect this to be over halfway, to be honest with you. You know, it's yeah. a big one. It is a big one. So uh, that's been Springfield Jack. It has been quite, uh, yeah, a narrative slash us reading out intensive one. Um, but uh, it's probably the, it's the first big one that we've done. And the next couple will probably be slightly smaller ones, I think, just because we don't want to rattle through the sort of large stuff early. Um, so from me, Chris... The psychic investigator Flynn. Don't have nightmares. See you later. Bye.